Welcome to Wellspring on the Air. I'm Nicole Alfonso, a therapist at Wellspring and the host of today's show about helping children with special needs thrive. With me today to discuss this important topic is Jonathan Simmons. Together, we want to tell you about how parents and caregivers can help their children with special needs thrive. So stay with us. We've got some good information just for you. Welcome, Jonathan, to our show today. Thank you for being with us. Please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself before we get started. Well, Nicole, first and foremost, thank you for having me. It is a great honor to be here talking about a topic that I'm extremely passionate about. A little bit about me. I am an adaptive PE coach, which uh, is just a fancy way for saying I get to work with some of the most beautiful children in all of my Miami-Dade County Public Schools. Um, my wife is also an educator within Miami-Dade County Public Schools. We have two beautiful children, a three-year-old named Kylie and a two-year-old named Jackson. Awesome. Thank you. So now that you dove us right into your uh, field, tell us a little bit about why you you became a special needs educator. Mm, that's a good question. So I can't take credit for this. Because like with all great things, uh, it chose me. I didn't intentionally choose it. I remember I was at a crossroads right after I got my AA degree from Miami-Dade Community College, not Miami-Dade College, Community College. So I was back in the day. And after I got my AA, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, so I asked my father um, for advice. And I said, what do I do? I don't want to waste time and I don't want to waste money pursuing something that might not be for me. And so he told me some of the wisest words he's ever told me, which was, if you do something that you love, you'll never work a day of your life. So I started going through this, uh, this list of what is it that I love? I love basketball and I'm pretty good. I got the nickname White Chocolate at Palmetto <laughs> 04, but uh, I wasn't good enough to play in the NBA. So I had to choose something else. And you know, people have always told me, wow, Jonathan, children are always gravitating towards you. And I, and I just love being around children. It was something that was natural. And so I said, you know what? I love kids. Let me go pursue maybe a degree in education. At that time, Miami-Dade Community College had a bachelor's program. It might've been the first one or they had just rolled it out, but it was only for ESC, which is students with exceptionalities. So that's what kind of started that trek. And uh, it led me to where I'm at today. So another thing that played a pivotal role in that was me attending Gulfstream Elementary as a child. Gulfstream is a very special school that has about half of their population with uh, special needs. And so I was constantly around children with special needs. It was kind of normal for me. There was mm. nothing abnormal about it. I had a lot of deaf and hard of hearing children in my class, which was just amazing uh, that I was able to learn uh, from them. I'm sorry, things were popping up on my screen but that I was able to learn from somebody that perceived the world a little bit differently than I am. And so I've always just kind of gravitated towards people who are different. Um, so I think a lot of it was planted back then in elementary school. And then uh, the Lord just decided to uh, put that, that next step in my pathway that has led me here to where I'm at. I love it how God uses everything in our lives, right? Um, even, you know, in your, in your elementary years, you were around kids that were special need kids and you became really comfortable with them and God used that to, to get you to where you are now. So tell me about what fuels your passion for these children, for the marginalized children. Mm. 
I would have to say it doesn't come from me. This this little old broken heart right here is 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 got a lot of messed up things about it. Um, it comes from something foreign outside of myself, and that someone has a name, and his name is Jesus. I uh, actually gave my life to the Lord on a mission trip in El Salvador, reaching out to children inside of the schools. And uh, I want to say just following him seriously, like really obeying and giving all of myself to him, being his apprentice has led me to love the most marginalized people on planet earth. And so I think it's just natural that, uh, that I get to do what I do. And it's amazing. Sometimes I got to pinch myself that Miami-Dade County Public Schools actually pays me to do what I get to do. Like it does not feel like work. It's mm. incredible. And so I remember with Kinsey, uh, we needed to pick a verse for our marriage and she actually chose it. So I can't take credit for that either. It was 1 John 4, 19 that says we love because he first loved us. And so the love that I have for children and especially those who are atypical uh, comes from Jesus and his love mm -hmm. for me. And uh, the fact that he loves a, a broken individual like myself, how could I not wanna love um, other people? And so, you know, I think back to, I don't wanna get too big into the scriptures, but Matthew 18 and Matthew 19, uh, one of them, his disciples are asking him, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And he says, puts the brake on him. <laughs> says, you need to become like one of these. You need to humble yourself and become like one of these if you want to inherit the kingdom of God. And in uh, Matthew 19, he's being uh, trying to be trapped by the legalists and the Pharisees and the religious folks. And so they've studied the law and they're trying to put him in a trap to trip him up and ask him, how do you enter into the kingdom? And he picks up a child. His disciples are trying to rebuke the children. He picks them up and says, no, you need to become like one of these. Mm -hmm. So like me, I'm a coach. I don't want to be, I, didn't, I never want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to learn the law so I could blow it and call foul on people. I want to be more like Jesus. And if he's focused on children, and if he's saying that children are the ones that are going to inherit the kingdom, I want to be around children. And so when I'm around them, it fuels something in me that I don't get when I'm around adults. And it's because mm -hmm. of that purity and that sincerity and that genuineness. They, they, they genuinely want to just do good most of the time. I know they're not perfect, but most of the time they want to do good. And so to e immerse myself in that all day, every day keeps me looking young. I mean, I'm, I'm 95 years old, but look at me. I only look like I'm 36. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But yeah, so that's just part of what fuels it. Um, another thing, I think there's a quote by, uh, I, I don't want to mispronounce his name, Frederick Beekner, that, uh, that says that the place that God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And so my deepest gladness is uh, when I'm around children and it just so happens that there's a deep, a deep, uh, a deep hunger for the world when it comes to marginalized children. Mm. So both those things intersecting has been a thing of beauty. So yeah. yes. So uh, thank you for sharing. Um, thank you for sharing that. It's just it's it's great to remember that you know children are so special and they're very um, pure. And um, when you shared that, that you like you know when you're with them, it just it just feels very genuine to you and it's great so okay so um you are you've been a teacher for how many years so this is my 11th year wow 
So you've been around the situation between parents and teachers and how to best help kids, right? And so this is my, my next question is about that. What are some suggestions that you would offer parents to help foster that team mentality with children's, their teachers and their therapists and just the entire team that works for the well-being of this child? Mm-hmm. See, yeah, this is vital. Parents, if you're listening, please pay close attention. So I used to be in the classroom, in the self-contained classroom for the first seven years of my career. I've just recently become an adaptive PE coach from outside. Um, I would say the IEP round table is absolutely vital. A lot of parents sometimes don't even show up. I don't care if, unless you're having heart surgery or there's some kind of catastrophic event that has taken place in the family, parents, you have to be there and advocate for your children. Day County has amazing teachers that advocate for your children, but there's nothing like a parent, nothing mm-hmm. like a parent that can advocate for their own child. And so in order to create a team where we're, I mean, the IEP annual meeting is literally a, a meeting where everyone who's involved in that child's life is coming together to figure out what are the uh, what are the goals and what are the benchmarks that we need to help bridge the gaps of where this child is in their behavior or educationally. And so the I guess what I've noticed in order for me to to lead a good IEP uh, meeting, I've always learned that transparency is key. When when teachers or when parents are wearing that facade and trying to act like they know everything and they're the perfect parent or the perfect teacher that never makes a mistake, walls just begin to go up. Everyone's trying to protect protect themselves. Mm. At the, and when you're protecting yourself, the one that's vulnerable is the child because we're not letting, we're not understanding what the dynamics are at home. So we can come up with a, with a plan of action in the school. The same thing with the teachers. If the teachers feel like the parent is attacking them and wanting to shift blame on, 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 on the teacher and not take anything, any, any of that responsibility for themselves, those walls go up and it's hard to create a team that's cohesive when everyone's just trying to protect their image or their reputation. So I think the biggest advice I would give is to lead out in vulnerability because vulnerability breeds vulnerability and uh, be as transparent as you feel comfortable being for the sake of your child, do it for mm. your kids. Do it for your kids. Mm, good. Thank you. Thank you. So the IEP is really important and attending that, being able to speak of your experience with your child into that meeting is important. Yeah. Okay. So can you share some practical steps with parents to take um, that they can take to reduce difficulties associated with children yeah. with disabilities or you know marginalized children? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, being a parent now, I would say uh, there's always that temptation to want to protect them and prevent them from, from ever experiencing any kind of heartache. And that's a huge disservice to, uh, to neurotypical kids, but especially to atypical kids. They have to make mistakes. Failures are not bad. And it takes a lot of rewiring of the brain to figure that out. There's a lot of education needed to explain to a parent that failure is actually a good thing. Um, I think it was Steve Harvey that they gave a great talk about Michael Jordan. I think Michael Jordan took, I don't know, uh, 946 game winning shots. And out of those 946 shots, he only made 146 of them. So he missed over 700 shots, but nobody talks about the misses. Everyone talks about the makes. 
And we have to begin to see our failures as opportunities to grow. And so parents that are constantly being a helicopter, just hovering over their child is doing a huge disservice. Let them, let them fall and scrape their knees now while they're young, instead of becoming 21 and drinking and driving behind a car and God forbid getting into a serious accident. Let them make the mistakes now while it's still pregame. It's not even playoffs yet. It's, it's definitely not championship time. Let them make the mistakes in the pregame. Parents get, oh, and Nino Mio, my son got a C. It's the end of the world. Well, you know what? If your child wasn't doing their homework or wasn't preparing or studying or doing what they had to do, let them get the C. Let them see what that C feels like or that D or whatever it is while they're in elementary, while they're young, so that they don't have to feel that when they finally have some freedom and they're off, off, off in college when it really matters. So that'd probably be one of my biggest, uh, one of the biggest practical steps I could give um, parents, sleep, nutrition, exercise, consistency, consistency, consistency. A lot more is caught than taught. So parents, if you're not modeling healthy sleep patterns, if you're not modeling healthy nutritional, uh, you know, whatever it is, whether it's for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, if you're not modeling exercise, then your children are not going to catch these things. So develop some kind of a routine um, for sleep where the both of you can uh, light some candles, play some relaxing music, dim the lights, whatever it is to help set the mood for sleep. And uh, another thing, don't let the label define you. I have plenty of friends that were, I mean, it was a travesty when they got that label, your child has autism or your child is on this spectrum, IDD, whatever it is. And then eventually they want to just bring the bar down. That's the worst thing you could do. That's your child needs you to push them more. They need you to scaffold them to, to, to high places. Don't bring it down for their sake. Mm -hmm. I want to see though. No, I don't want, no, 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 no. Push them even harder. They need mm -hmm. that. They need that. So don't allow that label to, to create a ceiling for you as a parent and for your child. This is great. And this is, I, 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 I hear you saying this and I'm a parent too. And it just seems like it's, this isn't, this is for like, you know, we have to do these things and uh, follow these things for any, any child. We're going to take a short break to thank one of our sponsors who makes the production of our podcast possible. When we come back, we'll hear more from Jonathan. Uh, so stay with us. Welcome back to Wellspring on the Air. This is Nicole Alfonso. If you're just joining our show, our topic today is helping children with special needs thrive. So far today, we've talked about how parents can create a team mentality with their children's teachers and therapists. If you joined us late, you can find us on our favorite podcast channel on Wellspring on the Air or on our website blog page at wellspringmiami.org. Just search for this topic. So Jonathan, I would like to ask you about what research approaches you use in adaptive PE coaching and so maybe even start by saying what is adaptive PE coaching like what is that all about and how you do that and then what are some of these um research-based approaches okay. that you use yeah I think I mean I think it's cool everyone's always asking me like what is an adaptive teacher an adaptive coach well every teacher every coach within Miami-Dade County Public Schools is adaptive whether they have the label in front of it or not because we're constantly having to change. Every mm -hmm. child has a different way to learn. And so we have to try to tap into that in order to maximize uh, their ability to retain what it is that we're trying to give them so that they can then give it to other people as well. So adaptive just means, I mean, for instance, all my children have IEPs and so they have accommodations 
and some of them have modifications that I can make to the curriculum. So I think that's what kind of generates that adaptive label for my sake, but I'm just like any other teacher. Um, there's nothing too special about me other than the kids that I get to, that I get to service. As far as like research-based stuff, um, you know, it's interesting I'm here on Wellspring because the only time I've had to go to Wellspring was to deal with depression. And uh, one of the interesting things that led me to what I'm about to tell you is the fact that we live in the midst of a multi-billion dollar industry, antidepressant industry, and the rates of depression are skyrocketing. It's not like they're, they're, they're becoming less. And so that led me to do a lot of research with cognitive behavior therapy, a lot of uh, a lot of research when it comes to neuroplasticity, and so that's kind of that's my sweet spot right now as an adaptive PE coach is really tapping into how I can get my students without having to take any kind of medicine, how they can use the tools and the resources they have to help to help kind of form uh, some healthy habits. Mm, okay. And so one of those things. Uh, there's, there's a program. I'm, I'm an ambassador for Chris Powell. He used to be a celebrity a weight watcher, extreme weight watcher guy. He created something called move 1 million. He wants to activate people to get moving. And it's 13 moves that tell a story. And it's a, it's a very, very interesting story. One of them is a tornado. That's where we, uh, we reach over here to our right side, pivot our left foot, and bring it down four times. That's just one of the 13 moves. My favorite move because it uh, it stretches out my hip flexor and I have tight hip flexors. But the main reason I love it is because we all go through tornadoes, whether it's getting a label, whether it's parents divorcing, whether it's a dog dying, everyone's gonna have to go through a tornado. And the move that's followed right after the tornado is marching. And I get to tell all my students, where do we march? In what direction? And they all say, move forward, march forward. Because mm. that's what we got to pick ourselves back up and keep moving forward. Um, so with this particular exercise, when it, it's, it's repetitive. So we're doing it all the time, which, which releases serotonin, um, mm. which is a mood stabilizer. Another thing is I'm always trying to give them a vision of the future. And it's like, yeah, okay, maybe you're not in the best shape now, but this is what you can be by the time summer comes. You know, I love to mess around with the little boys. Like, hey, you want a six pack? You want to be able to take off your shirt? <laughs> and of course they all do. And so whenever we're, we're looking forward to something with anticipation, dopamine begins to drip. So I try to always cast that and integrate that with all of my exercises, trying to show them what's to come so that that dopamine continues and brings them back for more. Um, so, so with this exercise program, we're doing it together. So what's super cool is I'm bringing some of my neurotypical and which are actually some of the worst behaved typical mm. children, bringing them into, uh, in, in, into my class with my, my neurodivergent children. And it brings out the best in both parties. Like it really raises the bar. They're both doing the same exercises together. So there's nothing different about it. And when they do that, it begins to release oxytocin, which is good for relationships and making those, those bonds. So the more I research uh, all these different, the different nuances and neuroscience and neuroplasticity, 
the 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 more fun I get to have as a teacher trying to figure out ways that I can in, in, implement these little things in games. And uh, it's bearing a lot of fruit. I get to see it every day. I'm not a scientist yet, but I get to see it every day and it excites me. And that's why I get up early in the morning, excited to work mm -hmm. with you. I love that you're, you know, you incorporate science, psychology, and, you know, the body in all of this. And there is like a, it's all connected and it all is for, you know, improving both mm -hmm. mentally and physically um, these children's. And of course, also the way they manage like things moving forward, right? Because their mentality, their thought process is also being affected. You're, in, you're encouraging stress management stuff, right? Stress management, management techniques and um, self-talk self and all that. Yes. So that's, that's awesome. Yes. So how do you actually successfully integrate disabled and non-disabled students into your class? You just mentioned it. You, mm. you, you both, you know, there's a group of both, right? And so how do you do that? So, I, I mean, I, I got this from Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 29, 18, that says where there is no vision, the people will perish. And that is just as true for churches, just as true for homes, just as true for classrooms. Um, so I've noticed that I have like five knuckleheads in this one class that just love to do the opposite of everything. They kind of have a little bit of a, that oppositional defiance in them. That's leadership qualities. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. They're my greatest leaders, my yeah. greatest leaders. And everyone's always following them. So I had to first cash vision with them. And once I did that and got them to believe in themselves, and I got them to understand how important this specific population was to me, how dear it was to my heart. Like I, I pitched this like, listen guys, I'm gonna bring you into this class, but you're my helpers. I cannot do this without you. And so I need you on your best behavior. These are my most precious students in the whole wide world. And I need you guys to deal with them with grace and a lot of patience. And so, once, you know, I, I sit down both classes, the gen ed and, and the special ed classes together, and I begin to have a discussion of what autism is. Let's say that for that specific class, my, uh, my special needs class is majority, you know, mainly made up of children with autism. I begin to ask questions. What do you think autism is? And I get to hear a lot of their responses. And I, and I just try to simplify it for them. I try to bring it down to their level. So I identify children that have glasses and I'm like, hey, just because you have glasses, does that make you any less than anyone else? No, of course not. That's what autism is. Autism is just a different way of seeing the world, a different way of experiencing the world. And I try to tell them we need to figure out how to tap into that. We need to tap into that because they see things so much clearer than we do. So we can help them with a lot of social skills, but they can help us tremendously. And then I assign them. I try to find people that I think their personalities will match. And I kind of assign them as buddies, which goes back. I don't want to get into best buddies, but best buddies. I'm a big supporter of best buddies. We have that here in our school. So I try to pair them up. Hmm. Once I do that, it's almost like these young children need and feed off of that responsibility. When you give a child a mission and a purpose that's bigger than themselves, I mean, they, it's, it's beautiful to watch. Mm. And so I think the biggest thing is just casting that vision, uh, being consistent, making them aware of what autism is, having them use people first language. Cause a lot of them are like, Oh, look, there's that child that the autistic child's like, no, 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 no. That's not an autistic child. That's a child that has autism. 
you know, don't define that person by the label, define mm-hmm. them by they are the human being first. And so a lot of it is just education. Um, but over the long haul with consensus, with consistency, these friendships just bridge and connect people. They create new possibilities and it transcends locations. Like even when some of these kids live nowhere near each other, but they're asking for each other's phone numbers, they're trying to hang out on the weekends. It's a beautiful thing. And I get to see it all. And I'm, I'm really privileged to be a part of it. So. Wow. This is, I mean, this is really what Jesus uh, said of, you know, we have a mission and purpose here and that, you know, gives us the energy to move forward and, and do hard things. Right. And so this is what you're helping these kids do by connecting them to each other and seeing the good in each other um, as they, as they play together, do fun things together and break, you know, build friendships even. Absolutely. Awesome. So if you could advise parents of students with disabilities on one thing, one thing you are only allowed to, to talk about one thing, uh, one advice, what would it be and why? Oh my goodness, you just destroyed me now because I got like 10 things. <laughs> oh, wow. What? Oh, now I'm really on the spot. I would say a growth versus fixed mindset to be aware of what that is. Um, a growth mindset believes that you can do anything you put your mind to. And a fixed mindset believes that uh, you're just, this is the cards that you're dealt and that's all you're ever gonna get dealt. That's all you could do, you're limited. Mm. Um, so I think, I think this is twofold. I think the parents need to believe this. And once they believe it, then they can have their children believe it. Um, nobody, Albert Einstein didn't know how to do, uh, how, how to calculate two plus two when he was born. It took time. Um, Michael Jordan couldn't dribble a basketball, couldn't jump when he was born. He had to learn how to do that before he could jump from the free throw line and dunk. And so great things take time. And when you believe that your child has the capacity to do whatever it is that they want to do, regardless of a label, regardless of of what the circumstances are, um, it changes you and and, and it infuses hope. And uh, so I think parents need to really believe that. I think they need to get out of that box that, that keeps them limited in their thinking and, 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 and what they believe for their child. And they need to go outside and look up and see the sky because ultimately that is the limit is the sky, but they gotta believe it. And then they gotta give that to their children and begin to, just like you said, um, kids have a lot of negative self-talk. We have to give them tools to help stop them. Once that negative cycle begins, give them something to stop it and then begin to preach truth to yourself so that they understand what their identity is. And uh, if a child believes that they're fixed and that there's nothing that could ever get them out of that fixed mindset, that they just, you know what, I'm just dumb or I'm just, I'm just not athletic. Well, then you know what? They're, they're, they're never going to learn. They're never going to become athletic. So I try to teach all my children to, whenever they say I can't do something, always follow it up with the word yet. Like mm. there's a lot of things I can't do yet, yet. Just like right now, I'm just an adaptive P coach. I'm not a doctor yet. One day I might be. And so once children and parents buy into that, uh, I really I really have seen that it just kind of unlocks. It's like, it's like driving in a car with, uh, with whatever, but then it becomes a convertible. And all of a sudden there's all this beautiful freedom. 
And so, so much more opportunity when we come, when we, when we have a growth mindset rather than a fix it mindset, right? So much more that our kids could do, but we might even be stopping them um, ourselves as parents. So that's that final point. Um, let's, let's have a growth mindset. Our children can and will be able to do more rather than fix it mindset, right? Absolutely. Thank you, Jonathan, for joining us today and shedding light on the topic of more marginalized children and how to help them thrive. We hope you learned some valuable information and felt encouraged if you're a parent of a special needs child. And thank you for joining our show today. Again, if you joined this program midstream, you can find this show and others on podcasts at Wellspring on the Air or on our blog on wellspringmiami.org. The title of today's show again was Helping Children with Special Needs Thrive. Encourage us and let us know you're listening by sending comments or questions to on the air at wellspringmiami.org. It's time to wrap up. This is Nicole Alfonso with Wellspring on the Air because hearts and minds matter.